welcome to your dog cast where we feature news just for dog lovers. Here's your Rover reporter, Mary Lou Davidson. Welcome to the Dogcast. I'm your Rover reporter, Mary Lou Davidson. Today we're joined by Kristen Collins. She's with us from the ASPCA. And Kristen is the Director of Anti-Cruelty Behavioral Services. She is one of the people that's out on the front lines. She's uh, involved with um, investigating dogfighting rings and rescuing and rehab those dogs and getting them into loving homes. So she deals with these severe cases, but she also deals with um, the everyday pet owner and their their problems. So welcome, Kristen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Marilyn. We're going to talk today about um, helping people work with their dogs and their cats to break some habits that um, may have been developed over time. But before we go there, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about your uh, specialty in being able to sort of um, read body language in dogs. Tell us a little bit about how that works. That's a, it's a very important thing for pet parents to learn to do. Dogs, um, luckily, are very expressive animals. They communicate when they're feeling happy, sad, nervous, fearful, angry, and they use their faces and bodies to convey that information. They, they don't they don't pop out understanding English. So we, we uh, often talk to our dogs, and uh, they may look like they're listening and responding, but um, they're much better at visual language. They're much better at body language. So it's an elaborate, elaborate system of, of nonverbal, nonverbal communication they have, and um, it's very, very important to learn to read your dog, to learn what those signals and postures mean. When you're starting out, it's a good idea to look at the various components, the different parts of your, bo- your dog's body, ears and tails and their, how they're holding themselves, um, their overall demeanor, but also the different, different parts, what they're doing with their muzzles, what they're doing with their eyes. And if you look at those parts individually and learn the different things that dogs do with those parts to communicate, um, that's a great place to start. Then, as you learn what all the parts mean, when they, all the expressions mean with those individual parts, it's great to put the whole picture together. Because really, in the end, the, the, the skill is to learn to look at all those parts and see the dog as a whole, and read the dog and in, notice everything the dog's body is doing in the context and, uh, and understand what those signals mean as a whole. The best way to do that, I think, is to make sure that you are noting what your dog looks like different times during the day. You know, what does he look like when he's happy, when dinner time happens? Mm-hmm. What does he look like when he's a little scared? What does he look like when uh, something he's, he's done something that, that you do not approve of and he's a little worried because you're angry? If you, um, if you look at all of those, those postures and you take note of what your dog is saying, then you'll be better able to, to look at your dog and read and respond what they they're telling you in situations when you're not sure how your dog is responding right right i have a a shepherd husky mix Kristen, and um Mm -hmm. highly expressive and uh i've been really aware of when he's just waking up his whole face is Mm -hmm. slack you know and there's really no worries (laughs) no trouble he just looks fresh Mm -hmm. and you know as the day goes on more and more concerns come across his face. So I hear exactly what you're saying. And toward that end, you know, we all sort of customarily think, boy, a wagging tail, my dog is happy. But that's not necessarily uh, true, yes. is it? 
Not at all. No, not at all. A wagging tail um, can mean actually a lot of things, and that is why it's so important to do what I was, I was mentioning before and look at the whole dog. A dog can wag her tail when she's, she's aggressive and angry, upset. Um, a dog can wag her tail when she's feeling nervous and fearful. And, of course, a dog can wag her tail when she's feeling happy. So if you look at the tail alone, you're, it's not going to tell you much. Um, so you do need to look at the tail then also look at your dog's ears. Look at her muscles. Is she tense? Is she relaxed? Um, look at her face. Are there wrinkles in her face? Does it look like her facial muscles are tensed? And her eyes, are they wide and nervous looking, or are they kind of squinty and relaxed? So it's really important to look at the, look at the whole picture in order to correctly interpret what's going on. Gotcha. So... As you mentioned, they don't pop out understanding English. So we're always searching for that tool, that thing that can help us communicate with our pets. What kind of tips mm-hmm. can you offer us as we work with our dogs? In my opinion, the best way to communicate with pets is to be very clear about consequences. Um, I think a lot of people, that it's very easy to explain what you want um, in terms of behavior from your pet if you give a lot of feedback. So in communicating with your pet, if you are trying to communicate and, uh, for example, say you like something your dog does, the best way is to use your voice to make sure your dog understands, use your voice, your touch to make sure your dog understands that uh, you you like what the dog has done, use rewards, toys, food, games. Make sure you're providing that feedback um, when your dog does things you like. I think a lot of people are, are uh, good at communicating when they're unhappy with something a pet does. Um, they focus more on that than on communicating what they do want the pet to do. So in terms of communication, I think that would be my number one tip for pet parents. Make sure you're giving feedback when the animal's doing something you like as well as when the animal's doing something you don't like. And mm-hmm. the easiest way to do that is to focus on reward. So mm-hmm. when, when your dog does something polite, make sure you are providing some kind of reward to let your dog know that's what I want you to do again. I like what you're doing there. Right. I talked to a person about puppy training, and she said, you know, when your dog sits or mm-hmm. comes, make a party. Don't just say good dog. Yes. Throw your hands up, smile, mm-hmm. laugh, giggle, touch him or her, and um, mm-hmm. really let them know. And I think a lot of people might be, you know, feeling like that that's stepping outside of their comfort zone. But in the long run, it's going to pay off. Right. So, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so it seems to me that – Training is as much working with the owner and the pet parents as it is working with the animal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think uh, you're definitely on to something there. Dog training isn't something um, you do once. So it's important, I think, uh, when, when I'm training people to train their animals, I focus much more on teaching people what to do rather than teaching specific skills to a dog, for example, because training really lasts a pet's lifetime. It's very important for pet parents to understand not only how to teach those, you know, the handful of specific behaviors they want, like come when called and sit politely, but also to understand how to train any behavior. They need to understand how their dogs learn and also um, how to teach and reinforce behaviors they like as well as how to discourage behaviors they don't like. Because if you have those basic tools, if you understand how your, your animal learns, then you can really train anything, any kind of behavior you want and you'll know also how to respond appropriately to behaviors you don't like. So the key really is to to train people, to teach people what to do. The other reason that's important is because 
as much even if you have say you have weekly lessons with a dog trainer you're you're ultimately in charge of of teaching your pet what you want him or her to do or not do you're the one living with that animal and training is um, not only less lifetime, time but also is a 24 7 type of thing you don't just take a class you know for an hour a day you teach your dog something all through the day, there are training opportunities. So it's, it's crucial for pet parents to learn what to do without the trainer's help. It's a, I think it's similar, actually, to, um, to learning how to work out. Say you're, you're interested in getting fit. If you get someone to teach you how to use weights, how to work out appropriately to, to uh, get in shape, that's great, but you have to continue those good habits for the rest of your life. Same holds true for training a dog. You need to learn how to do it, and then you need to Make sure it's a lifestyle rather than just one one listen or two, if that makes right. sense. Well, do you think that uh, when people are, you know, starting to train their dog that they should have like a regimen, like at 10.20 we're going to spend 10 minutes working on uh, fetch and retrieve or sit stay, or do you think they should just, like you said, integrate it into their lifestyle? I think both. If, um, if you're teaching a new skill, say you've, you've really, you'd like to teach your dog to fetch, for example, I think it is a great idea to set aside, just so you make sure you get that teaching in, set aside you know, a few minutes a day, maybe um, 10 minutes or 5 minutes twice a day to work on that one skill or work on a handful of skills you'd like to teach. But, um, and the other thing actually to emphasize there is that if you do set aside time for that, it doesn't have to be a lot of time. In fact, dogs probably learn better. They're a little like young kids in terms of attention span, it's great if you're teaching a new behavior just to take a little, you know, short training session, 10 minutes or so, focus on those, uh, on those skills you'd like to teach in those 10 minutes, but also do work practice into your daily life. The, it's, it's funny, people say, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to feed my dog too many treats. Reward-based training is great, but I don't want my dog to get fat, and I don't want my dog to have to see food to do what I ask. But um, you can use their, I think some trainers call them life rewards. You can use rewards all day. Your dog gets to go on walks. Your dog gets, your, you know, a good belly rub. Your dog gets to um, go outside to play. And dinner time, for example, the dogs love dinner time. So all of those things in life your dog loves can be used as training tools. And even if you ask for just one repetition of a behavior you're trying to train, say you ask your dog to lie down before getting dinner, that's training right there. Working it into your, your life like that is a wonderful way to teach your dog to behave politely all the time, but also a wonderful way to utilize all those things in life your dog loves every day. There are all kinds of opportunities, and it's great for people to identify those opportunities and use them. You know, Kristen, we're talking about it so calmly, and it's just like, okay, now we're going to do some training. But the reality <laughs> is that, you know, some dogs are easier to train than others. And if True. you have a... a dog that has a some mix in him that's a little bit more stubborn or a little bit more dominant it can be really frustrating and people can lose their cool so do you have any magic words of zen that they can use to stay with it stay on it and just you know reassure them yes i think uh, a lot of the time when people get frustrated it's important to remind them that uh that they're dealing with, with an animal, with a, with a, not a computer. A lot of people, I think these days, uh, as technologically advanced as we're, we're becoming, a lot of people want to teach something and then have the dog understand it. So if the dog does something once or twice, he knows it. 
when in fact you have to remember it's very much like, again, teaching children. Dogs need to learn things and practice and experience consequences several times before they catch on. And the important thing to remember is if you're consistent and you stick with it, you give the dog very consistent, clear feedback, then behavior will change. In most cases, most behavior problems really, just the vast majority of them can in fact be improved and, and resolved. It's just a matter of, of taking the time to be consistent, put the time into training, and, uh, and be patient with yourself and with your dog. Dog training isn't a, a, an intuitive skill. So that's actually one of the biggest frustrations I see and I, when I teach classes. I see people becoming frustrated. Often it's not even with the dog. It's with, them, it's with themselves because it's, it's not intuitive stuff. It's hard to remember what you're supposed to do, let alone what you're wanting the, the, the animal to do. The good news is it, it gets easier and easier the more you do it. So the more you train, the more natural it feels, and the more you communicate with your dog, the better she'll learn what it is that you want. So just hang in there is often what I say to, to pet parents. It, it can be done. Right. You've got this website. It's really an awesome resource uh, that uh, people can log on to 24-7. It's ASPCABehavior.org. And basically you can log on, choose the type of pet that you have, and then choose you know, some of the bad behaviors, and it will return all kinds of solutions and articles. What, what do you see um, from the data that you've gleaned there is one of the most common problems that people have with their dogs? There are many. Um, I think one of the most common problems we get, is there, there are three top problems that, that I have found receive the, the articles that receive the most hits. Um, house training is a big one. So house, house soiling is a big problem pet parents have. Also um, excessive vocalization and destructive behavior. I think maybe a fourth I should throw in uh, is, is not listening. A lot of the time people complain about their animals not listening. So I think those are probably the top four. And often I believe those, those actually result in pet parents relinquishing their dogs to shelters when in fact they're, most often, those are problems that are not that difficult to resolve. It's all a matter of understanding how to do it and getting that information. So I'm very excited that we've uh, we've got this resource that we're able to offer pet parents, and it's called um, the Virtual Pet Behaviorist. Mm-hmm. It's got uh, over a hundred over hundred articles, and we're adding every day to the database. Well, not every day to the database, but often to the database. Articles on cat behavior, dog behavior, and uh, horse behavior. So we're we're uh, we're very big on educating pet parents and. A lot of those common problems can be resolved. Again, just right. a matter of understanding how to do it. Well, let's just pretend that I have a dog that jumps on people. How would you mm-hmm. guide me to to stop this behavior? Um, let's say that when people come to the door, he just gets so excited and <clears throat> to jump up and lick them like crazy. Well, Mary Lou, I would tell you that the most important things to remember, there there are two keys to resolving that particular problem. The first one is to prevent your dog from getting rewarded for doing the the wrong thing, jumping up. And then the second thing is to train and reward an alternate behavior that's incompatible with jumping up. So, for example, if, uh, say, your dog jumps up, a lot of the time people will, will react poorly to that, but it's still tension. A lot of people don't realize they're actually sometimes reinforcing the jumping up behavior by saying, no, get off, stop that, pushing the dog and, and uh, 
saying, stop, quit, I do not want you to jump over me, any kind of attention at all, even looking at your dog is giving him, in a way, what it is he's seeking because he's seeking your attention. So even if you're giving negative attention, it's still attention. And you want to instead think of what your dog's trying to get, which is interaction, and make sure he doesn't get that thing. So the most effective way to discourage jumping up is to make sure that it results in complete ignoring. The dog is invisible when he jumps up on me. If it's a big dog, a lot of the time what you'll need to do is set it up so that you can either walk back out of the house, so you come in, the dog jumps up, and you leave, because otherwise he'll be climbing your back, um, or you can, you can leave the room and go into a different part of the house if you, use the, if you use baby gates to block off an area, you can leave a room that way. Just making sure that you're taking away the attention. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you want to make sure that you give attention immediately when your dog decides to do the right thing. So say your dog's jumping up on you and you turn your back. You don't look at the dog at all and you're waiting. And then you hear your dog's all four paws hit the floor. That's the moment you need to spin around and tell your, give your dog that attention that he's seeking. So it's all about contingencies. It's all about looking at what your dog wants and rewarding the behavior you want. So using what he wants to get what you want in, in that dog in terms of light greeting behavior. Gotcha. So those answers and more are on the ASPCABehavior.org site. Let's talk just for a second about kitties because cats really are trainable, but we don't, we don't think of it because they're so sort of mysterious and independent, but but they are trainable. So can you give us an example of a a training? Uh, I mean, I've seen most cats seem to take to house training like a breeze. You show them the box and it's done. But, um, you know, I think bad habits like jumping on counters or um, scratching the furniture are really critical for people who are trying to live harmoniously with cats. So what do you recommend about those things? It depends on the problem, really. Um, to address your, your first point, cats, that cats are trainable. They absolutely are. It's, uh, people, you're right, people don't think of cats as trainable a lot of the time. But, uh, in fact, if you're trained, trying to teach a behavior, say, for example, come when called, um, which is very easy to teach to a cat, all you have to do is figure out what it is that the cat will work for, like uh, tiny pieces of, of chicken, for example, little tiny bits of boiled chicken often cats will go crazy for. So if you can find something like that, something that your cat loves, you can teach virtually any behavior that you can teach to a dog. There, you can even teach your cat to, you can potty train your cat. I know a few cats who use uh, an actual toilet. So it's, there are many things cats can learn. It's not that they're not as trainable. It's just people don't think of them as trainable. And also, they sometimes have trouble finding that thing or handful of things a cat will work for. When it comes to behavior problems in cats, there are the, the fix does depend on what kind of problem it is. The first problem you brought up, litter box problems, is a huge, huge issue with pet parents. Um, I I would say at least 10% of all cats develop elimination problems at some point. Some stop using boxes altogether, or sometimes it's just a partial problem that they miss the box. Um, That's that's a very frequent issue. So in those cases, um, the, the virtual pet papers can help a great deal because you can type in your specific problem, cats eliminating outside the litter box. And uh, then you can come up with lots of suggestions, ways that you can, you can fix that issue. 
most often that problem is, is about uh, something simple, like not cleaning the litter box thoroughly or often enough. That's a, sometimes that is an easy fix. People don't realize it'll, it'll fix the issue instantly. You can also add additional litter boxes, um, make litter boxes larger. Sometimes the box is a little too small and the cat feels uncomfortable in it. Sometimes cats can't easily get to litter boxes. That's another common reason they start missing the box or going outside of the box. Um, or occasionally to make the litter box a little nicer, pet parents will do something like add a hood or add liner or um, start using a, a litter with fragrance. And those small changes can really throw a cat for a loop and they can, can start having house soiling issues for those reasons. Interesting. I'm looking at my three cats right now and they're giving me the evil eye. <laughs> so um, <laughs> they don't want me to get any ideas about training. They're very good. Right. But, well, Kristen, they might wow. love it though. You never know. You've got so much information and I know our listeners are going to be intrigued with um, all of these new ideas and uh, sources to find information about their dogs and cats online. I appreciate you joining us, and we no hope problem. to talk to you again soon. Great. I hope so, too. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the One World Pet Podcast. For more information about this podcast, please contact Mary Lou at oneworldpet.com.